Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. As Californians get ready to go to the beach this summer, there's a new worry to consider ticks that carry Lyme disease, which is a potentially debilitating illness that in its late stages can cause neurological or cardiac problems. A four-year study has found that coastal areas from Mendocino to Monterey are home to these Lyme disease-carrying ticks, which were thought to be mostly inland. In this segment, we'll talk about the study and how to protect yourself from tick bites. And we're joined by Leah Gertner, Director of Education and Outreach at the Bay Area Lyme Foundation. Leah Gertner, thanks so much for talking with us. Thank you so much for having us on there. And also with us is Daniel Sockeld, research biologist at Colorado State University, Fort Collins, who conducted the four-year study that found uh, ticks in Northern California coastal brushland. Thanks so much for joining us as well, Daniel. Thanks, Nina. It's a pleasure to be here. So talk about this four-year study looking at the prevalence of disease-carrying ticks in California, in particular ticks that carry Lyme disease. So you found them among coastal shrubs. Why is this so important? What was surprising about this to you? Um, well, there was um, the first thing that we found surprising was the number of ticks in these coastal habitats. So perhaps this was uh, negligent on our part beforehand, but we've always concentrated on um, woodlands in California. And that is definitely an area where ticks are abundant and where they are um, carrying the Lyme disease bacterium. Um, And this was kind of a first investigation into uh, coastal habitats for us. Um, And we found ticks in large numbers and we were surprised to find that they were also carrying Lyme disease because in those habitats, the reservoir that we associate with Lyme disease in California isn't there, and that's the Western Gray Squirrel. I see. So can you just explain quickly how uh, ticks do end up being able to carry the bacteria that can cause Lyme disease, just to remind our listeners? Yeah, if you're not familiar, um, the ticks have three life stages. So they're, um, when they hatch from their eggs, they're not infected with the bacteria. They have to um, feed on an uh, animal host that is infected with the bacteria. And so once they have it, when they bite as a as an older tick, so they molt from larva to nymph to adult. Um, so as a nymph or an adult, they can then transmit that infection to um, a new animal or if you're unlucky to a person. And again, as you were saying, typically you'd think these animals were more in woodland areas. So what do you think is, is driving this sort of growing percentage, it sounds like, of ticks who are carrying the bacteria that causes Lyme? I'm, yeah, I'm not actually sure that it's a new thing. I think it's just that we've recently discovered it. So mm. um, some areas of, of uh, California coast are famous for ticks. So just south of Monterey, there's Garapatas State Park, which is Spanish for tick. Um, and lots of locals have been contacting me recently to say, yeah, this is um, 
something that they are aware of that ticks have the seasonality in coastal habitats, but we hadn't really examined them uh, for pathogens that they might carry um, uh, for a long time. And so that was what was surprising was to, to see that they were actually um, indeed infected. So then are you not saying that you are, we're likely to see a growing number of people coming into contact with these coastal ticks that the, we're discovering the numbers that already existed? Yeah, I think it's more a case of awareness. I think uh, locals have been aware of these tick populations in coastal habitats. Um, but it's often the case that if you're driving out for the day from San Francisco, um, perhaps you're not aware of this uh, being uh, something to take care of or take precautions for. So um, I think ticks have been there. I think they've just been under the radar in terms of um, disease surveillance. I see. And one of the things, Leah Gertner, that you know is that there are a lot of people who also may not be aware of what to look for in terms of understanding whether or not they may have been bitten by a tick that is carrying the bacteria that causes Lyme disease. First, can you just talk a little bit about your own personal experience? I understand you were diagnosed. How did that come to be? Sure. I was in graduate school uh, at Cornell University in upstate New York, which at that point was the most Lyme endemic area in the country. But I was from the Bay Area, and I was pretty unfamiliar with some of the details around Lyme disease infections that a lot of people, um, even in the Northeast, don't know, which is that um, sometimes the ticks are as small as a period at the end of a sentence or as small as a poppy seed mm -hmm. and can be very difficult to see when they're attached, especially if they're behind your knee or on your scalp or under your armpit. Um, I didn't know that Lyme disease does not always um, come with a rash. And if it is a rash, it's usually actually not um, what people think of as the stereotypical diagnostic bullseye rash. It's usually more of a solid red rash, um, if there even is a rash associated with the infection. Uh, I also did not know that there were um, several co-infections that um, can also be transmitted along with Lyme disease by ticks. And Dan's study incorporated some of those other pathogens that ticks can carry at the same time. And some of the ticks in um, Dan's study were actually infected with multiple pathogens at once. Um, so we have, you know, in California, we have other infections besides Lyme disease, and we have um, things like Babesia, which is more of a malaria-like illness, and other um, bacteria like Borrelia miyamotoi, which is sort of newly discovered here and causes the tick-borne relapsing fever. So I was at Cornell, and um, I had sudden uh, onset cardiac symptoms, and. Um, the cardiologist for the next 10 years missed those symptoms um, as, a, as a Lyme carditis um, picture. And uh, then I was camping in Mendocino with my family 10 years later and um, came back with a red rash and um, progressed into having um, a sort of stiff neck and um, migrating joint pain and fevers and night sweats and um, a, a bunch of more symptoms of Lyme and uh, Babesia. So um, then I was properly um, tested and treated after that, and then only realized, you know, after that, that I had actually been infected back at um, Cornell as well. So um, yeah, those are both highly endemic areas for tick-borne diseases. And actually, just went camping this weekend, and um, last night took a, a nymphal, a baby tick off my husband's back um, from the Santa Cruz area. So we're sending that in for testing. He just drove it to the post office overnight. He's sending it to Tick Report. Um, at the University of Massachusetts for wow. tick identification and testing, and um, we'll proceed to decide um, the treatment protocol for himself after that. My goodness. So then you mentioned it took 10 years or so before you were able to be diagnosed and treated for Lyme. Why was it so hard to get a diagnosis? 
There, it's a relatively new disease. It's you know, it's it was only discovered in the 1970s, 1980s, and um, there is not a lot of publicity around it. Although, um, you know, our state and federal governments are getting more on board in the past couple of years, largely because of um, activism from foundations such as the one that I work for, which is the Bay Area Lyme Foundation, um, and other. Um, you know, sort of forces across the nation, um, usually backed by people who have been misdiagnosed and have gone through um, quite a journey and in, in an effort to get properly diagnosed and treated. So um, we are working to try to make it more understood. And this sort of science that Dan did, these ecology studies are really helpful in propelling, um, you know, the, the, the information forward, because once we can show um, these are the new pathogens that we're finding. These are the old pathogens that we're just discovering. Um, this, this is the rates in our areas um, and across the nation, which Dan can also talk about the citizen science project where people sent ticks from all over the nation. And we found, um, you know, ticks in places that the CDC did not even know about. So all of this is going to help inform physicians um, and the medical associations about the need to have Lyme disease and these tick-borne infections on their differential diagnostics, um, you know, you know, thought process for when people come in with, you know, a summer flu or, um, un, you know, sort of uncharacteristic um, fevers and um, joint pains or neurological issues or cardiac issues. Um, cardiologists are slowly becoming aware of, um, you know, there can be sudden death from these infections. Um, so it's slowly happening, but we would love, um, you know, the word to get out so that patients and doctors um, and medical practitioners can, can have this more on the forefront and more people will get treated quickly, which is super important because if you get treated quickly, um, the odds of, you know, going on and having a, a persistent disease or a chronic disease um, are much lower than if it takes a long time to get diagnosed. If you miss that teeny tick bite, um, you know, in the back of your knee, and then you went on, you know, for a month or two and you started to have symptoms and the doctor said, oh, I think it's some other virus or, oh, it sounds like chronic fatigue or, oh, you know, um, if you don't get properly tested and diagnosed um, and treated with antibiotics, it can be a rough road. And unfortunately, the diagnostic tests aren't great. Um, and so that's a whole other conversation. But what? I want to let you... Yeah, yeah. well, let me remind listeners that we're talking with Leah Gertner, Director of Education and Outreach at the Bay Area Lyme Foundation, and Dr. Salked, research biologist at Colorado State University, Fort Collins, who conducted a study that found uh, ticks in Northern California's coastal brushlands. We're talking about that new study. We're talking about tick-borne pathogens in California and how concerned you should be. And if you want to share your own experience with it, maybe you or a family member has been diagnosed with Lyme, you can do that at eight, uh, sorry, at a new number, 415-553-3387. Again, 415-553-3387. Maybe you have questions about Lyme disease or the prevalence of Lyme-carrying ticks in your region. You can post comments on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us forum at kqed.org. And again, different number, 415-553-3387. Ron writes, 10 years ago on Mission Peak, I got Lyme disease from a Western deer tick bite. By coincidence, I was already taking the medication often used to deal with Lyme disease, so I did nothing but remove it. Daniel Sockelt, one of the things that uh, we've been hearing is that 
there are concerns that lime-carrying ticks are moving further south, say towards Malibu, Manhattan Beach, even Newport Beach. Can you help us understand that risk? Yeah, I, I'm not aware of them moving. I think it's another thing of the, the ticks becoming um, featuring on people's radars that they're around. Um, ah. And so I think ticks have been in these areas for a long time. Um, but luckily in the south, uh, southern ends of California, um, previous studies have tried to look for the Lyme disease bacterium, and it's it's a lot rarer there than it is up in the northern uh, parts of California. So three studies put together um, found about one tick out of 5,000 infected with the Lyme disease bacterium. Um, and so that's uh, quite substantially lower than it is in the north, where um, we normally are looking about zero to 10 percent of ticks infected. Oh, wow. That does seem pretty low at the same time. So what we were hearing in terms of percentages was that in the Bay Area, 4% of the ticks you studied had the bacteria that caused Lyme, but that you also studied other types of pathogens uh, in the ticks. Can you talk about what you found there and what proportion of ticks had some concerning pathogens? Yeah, that's an absolutely great point. So um, often in these kinds of ecological studies, we tend to uh, collect ticks and we bring them back to the laboratory and then we screen them for a particular pathogen of interest. Um, and then often in the way science is done, we progress and publish a paper that reports that single pathogen in a tick population. Um, recently, what we did was look at uh, three other pathogens. So it's um, Borrelia miyamotoi, as one Leah mentioned, none of these are easy to say. Um, and then there's a third one, Anaplasma phagocytophilum, um, which features on Twitter a lot. But, um, if you look at them all combined um, in the same tick population, then what happens is your understanding or perception of tick-borne disease risk um, obviously is cumulative, and so it goes up as you add each pathogen. So whereas we traditionally might look at a place like as, uh, at a sample site in Marin and it report that it has 8% infected ticks with uh, Lyme disease, if you add those other pathogens, then suddenly the risk starts to become cumulative and so suddenly you're looking at a population in which nearly one in three might be infected with a pathogen. Um, and that varies as you go across different areas. So I'm not trying to be alarmist. Um, other areas, those, those differences might be quite um, small and incremental. It's worth understanding that ticks don't just um, decide to graduate in Lyme disease bacteriology and only infect people with one bacteria. I see, but are the impacts as severe as Lyme disease of these other pathogens? They yeah, I mean, yes, they can be. So often the, the impacts vary depending on uh, the person's susceptibility or their, um, their health. And this is something we've all become familiar with during COVID, that you have underlying factors mm. um, and, and or the strains of the bacteria that might be transmitted. So um, anaplasma phagocytophilum can be fatal. Um, and then Borrelia miyamotoi, we're only just starting to try and understand the public health burden and the, the disease that's actually I see. people. We're talking about tick-borne pathogens in California, and you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to caller Polly in Vallejo. Hi, Polly. Oh, uh, yeah, it's actually Holly. But... Oh, it's written as Polly here. Holly, thanks. Hi. Uh, hi. Uh, quick question. My two-year-old got uh Tick. I, we found a tick. She'd had it in her for about two days. I didn't realize after the hike, it was kind of hiding at the base of her neck. Um, we took it off, and I kind of just freaked out and threw it away. Didn't get it tested. Never saw the bullseye. And I just this morning saw there's still 
quite a noticeable mark there. Not a rash, but like an indentation. Is there anything I should be looking for at this point? It's been two months since it happened. Hmm. Um, Holly, thanks. Leah Gertner? Quick advice for Holly here. Yeah, yeah, I can't diagnose anything, but I would say, um, you know, sometimes after a tick attaches, there's a localized uh, reaction to the saliva of the tick. So it can get red around the area. That would be different than an erythema migrans Lyme rash that's diagnostic. Um, it's typical, you know, for there to be a mark or a scar after a bite. Um, and that doesn't indicate that there's a disease there. Um, I would, at this point, you know, watch for symptoms. And, um, you know, you can also do diagnostic testing, which I mentioned before isn't great. Um, it's considered to be about as good as flipping a coin for Lyme disease. Uh, but the, the best time to test is about five weeks after a bite. So that is an option. Um, that's when the antibody test works the best. So in terms of testing for other diseases, it's a little bit tougher. Most doctors aren't familiar with some of the tick-borne diseases that we have here. Um, and the diagnostics can be a little tricky. Um, but you can go to the Bay Area Lyme Foundation website and um, find out more information or reach out to me directly. Well, Holly, thanks for the question and hope everything's great. Let me go to Matt in West Marin. Matt, you have a question? Hi, yeah. I, I've lived on the coast. I've had a lot of tick bites. Um, but one, one uh, in particular really concerned me. It was in my belly button. Um, I filled my belly button with Tiger Balm, finally got it out, went to the doctor on Monday, and they said, come back in a couple weeks. And they said, uh, we don't need that tick. And I said, okay. And I came back, and they tested me, and they said, wow, you have Lyme disease levels off the charts. And then oh. I took the medicine. <clears throat> I went back. And I said, okay, well, are you going to test me again? They said, no, we don't do that. And I thought, well, no one ever told me it takes five weeks before, you know, the test is conclusive. But I just thought it would be more helpful if they had tested me immediately so that they could, when I, when I came back, they could have something to compare it to. Because what if I already had Lyme disease because I have had so many chick bites? And I thought, well, I'm not a doctor. You know, I don't make these decisions. But it seemed... It seems uh, to not be a very intelligent way to go about it. And um, Yeah. Luckily, well, Matt, I'm sorry to hear that. And I, I just wanted to quickly get Leah in here. First, I mean, you really say save the tick, right? That it's a really important thing for, for people to test it. Right. I think, I think it's an important thing to do. Um, because it just is one more piece of information. Obviously, someone's symptom picture, you know, is is very important. Um, and and putting all the pieces together, I think, give your medical provider a fuller picture. You could send your tick in for testing; it can come back clean, and yet you still have symptoms. Um, and that could be because you had another tick hidden somewhere else in your body that did infect you. So nothing is nothing is very certain in Lyme disease and tick-borne disease, um, you know. But in terms of removing the tick, um, I recommend uh, using pointy nose tweezers and trying to grasp the head of the tick as close to your own skin as possible and um, and taking it out directly from there and not using tiger balm or anything like that. And again, your website has a lot of great resources. Quickly, the link again. BayAreaLime.org. Leah Gertner, thanks so much for talking with us. Daniel Salka, thanks so much for your research. And thanks to our listeners for sharing their experiences. My appreciation to Susan Britton for producing today's segments on Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio 
and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.